0: welcome to twice five miles radio fertile ground for conversations worth listening to and remembering i'm your host james Nabe. always broadcasting first on wpvmlp asheville 103.7 and streaming online wpvmfm.org the voice of asheville heard all over the world and on other community radio stations like kcei cultural energy radio out of taos new mexico hey thank you walter parks for our theme song if you'd like to know more about walter's music walterparks.com is a good place to look and Davine dial always big thank you for running wpvmfm for managing the station we couldn't do these shows without you and if any of you out there listening would like to know more about community radio wpvmfm.org and i would also like to remind you that every saturday morning i gather on Zoom with my creative collaborator, Allegra Houston, and we do the Imaginative Storm writing prompt of the week session. And we just gather for an hour, writers write, and then we read our work. It's good fun, we laugh a lot, say a few interesting things, and then move on into our Saturday. That's at at 10 o'clock Mountain Time and noon Eastern Time, and you can find out about that at imaginativestorm.com. That's imaginativestorm.com and the door is always open. We, everyone is welcome to come. And you can always reach out to me, nave at jamesnave.com. And if you're wondering about what the Twice Five Miles project is about, we also have some books too. How to how to edit and be edited, how to, how to read for an audience, and how to make a speech. So if you'd like to know more about that, you can take a look at twice5miles.com. So that pretty much covers the introduction. Again, thank you for tuning in. And as you know if you've been listening for a while i interview people sometimes i've never met them or maybe just briefly encounter them on zoom and other times I have people I've known for a while. Today, I have Kelly Notaris, and she and I have known each other by way of Taos for quite some time. Kelly's based out of Boulder, Colorado. That said, she does drive south once in a while across the state line to say hello to her dear friends here in Taos. And Kelly owns a business called KN Literary Arts. She's a writer, she's a thinker, she's a conversationalist as much as all of the rest. And she's a friend of mine. And so I'm glad to have you on Twice Five Miles. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us.
1: I'm so happy to be here, Nave. Thanks for having me.
0: And I would just like to start by asking you to reflect on a question that I've heard batted around a lot. And this is a question about writing. I've heard some of my friends say, well, there are just too many writers in the world as it is. And I don't think we need any more. Gee whiz, you know, what's all this business? What's this all about? We should do away with those writers. And I've always pushed back because I say, no, we we need as many people as we can getting their voices out. As a person who's been working in the business of uh, helping people bring their voices to the world by way of text and by way of books, What do you have to say about that argument that's never really been resolved?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I would say that it's a very old fashioned argument. It is an argument for the last century when there was high bar to get into a publishing situation where your book was gonna go out there. And it was decided by a small group of people who looked and sounded and thought very much alike to one another. And they got to decide whose voices got out there and how far. And thank goodness that has changed now. And thank goodness people are able to feel the call to self-express and have a pathway to do that. I think that there's maybe the canon, the great literary canon somehow seems diluted to certain people's mindsets. But for me actually it's more inclusive it's more open it's more available and we all benefit from getting our experiences mixed together and you know learning from one another there's there's nothing that i find more exciting
0: when you were here in taos over christmas you and i had a conversation i don't know how long it lasted it was during the during christmas day actually we had had a christmas meal and we were lucky enough to sit next to each other and and we were We're talking a a great deal and that was when I realized the company that you have, KN Literary Arts, was a perfect fit for a client that I was working with who lives in Paris, Lynn Burney. And sure enough, I talked to Lynn about it and she was very happy to talk to one of your representatives. I was on the call when your representative talked to Lynn. Fantastic job, just a fabulous, fabulous job. And so you spend a lot of time in your business, KN Literary Arts, helping people figure out how to tell their stories. Would it be fair to say you're in the storytelling
1: business? I would say we are in the storytelling business and we're also in a business that i would call the wisdom business so most people who are wanting to put their words on the page are either wanting to tell a story that brought about wisdom or they have been practicing and have had a career in an area where they've learned so much about the human experience i mean we definitely focus mostly on people who work with people you know we are um, self-help personal growth business the world of people helping one another and that so we're in the wisdom business in that way but i will go back to what you said about the storytelling business and say one point that we make with every client is that we need to see stories on the page. Even if what you're writing is facts or what you wanna transmit is facts, it turns out human beings are 22 times more likely to remember a fact if it is wrapped in a story. So we are always telling people, tell your stories, tell the stories of your friends, bring in, weave in the great stories of the ages, the myths, the movies, the books that changed your life, bring those stories into your book and other people will remember it more.
0: I'm curious about wisdom. I hear that word a lot. I know people have businesses. They say, I'm I'm seeking wisdom or I'm pursuing wisdom. People listening to this show, people that I run into often think wisdom is something that somebody else has. Mm -hmm. They think, well, maybe Socrates had it. Maybe Maybe Maya Angelou had it. Maybe, oh, Emily Dickinson, she was wise. But me? What does that mean for me? So from your point of view, from your experience, what does wisdom mean?
1: Mm -hmm. I'm sure there are many different true definitions of wisdom, but the way that I think about it is the hard earned understanding about life that each of us gets through living and we may get it through you know specific studies or working in a particular field we might gain wisdom in those areas, but we all have it in our everyday life and what comes through the just the path. I mean as somebody who is at midlife now, I have much more wisdom than I had when I was in my 20s and sometimes wish I could go back and talk to her and give her some advice um, on what what to do and what not to do. Wisdom to me is truly just the way that we make sense of the journey that we have been on and that sense making can help others. I tell people all the time, something that a teacher told me years ago, if you are six inches ahead of someone else on the path, you have something to teach them. You have some wisdom that can help them. So I also would frame wisdom as something that can be of service and help to others.
0: And I'm wondering about the wisdom we all have. We may be aware of some of it. Do you think that a lot of the wisdom we have is there and we're just not even aware of it?
1: I think so. I mean, just before we got onto this radio program here, you were giving me some wisdom about some topics that you, you know, you were teaching me about some things that, you know, I didn't know anything about. And I don't think if somebody asked you, is the area of technology, which is what you were teaching me, um, is that something that you have wisdom and you would say, Oh, absolutely not. But you taught me several things that I did not know. And now I feel like my life and my hopefully um, sound setup will be improved by it. So I think that it can be as small as that, you know, we all have things to teach. We all are experts in different areas and sharing that expertise with one another is an act of generosity.
0: So when I started this conversation, I asked you to reflect on the, the writers of the past, and you said the old school ones were a bit on a pedestal. And I also sometimes think wisdom was part of the pedestal as well. What I'm hearing, and I agree with you, wisdom is part of the everyday business of being alive and the everyday communication that we have with the people we know and care about and the people we first come in contact with. It's not on a pedestal. Maybe the pedestals don't exist and you don't have to sit there on a rock and scratch your head for three weeks to figure out what to say.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I would say that I think the pedestals are falling all around us. We are seeing it happen every day in all sorts of different areas in our world where the idea, it used to be that only a few people got to report the news. It used to be that only a few people got to write books, only a few people got to make music. And now the fact is all that time, people were still reporting the news that the person who just happened to be the town gossip was reporting news. Let's put, you know, that's kind of a type of reporting news. Someone else might have played music at home for their family. But now it's available to share that wisdom, to share that information, to share that music with such a wider audience. So I think that our ideas, we are literally in the middle of a time period where the idea about what it means to be an artist, what it means to be a writer, what it means to be a reporter, it's changing moment by moment every single day.
0: And I'm thinking about pedestal, which implies we put somebody above us and then the pedestals are falling. I don't know if it's human nature to put somebody else back up on the pedestal or to erect another pedestal after one falls, but there is a difference, don't you think, between having someone on a pedestal and having deep admiration for someone's work. I know there's a fellow here, you know, Kevin Cannon, I think, and Kevin is a fabulous artist, He's a wonderful personality. He's been in Taos for a long, long time. And Kevin's a beautiful guitar player and has a great voice. I admire Kevin no end. I don't have him on a pedestal, but I do admire him. I'd like for you to reflect on the difference between admiration and the pedestal. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, again, I think the pedestals were set up by... someone else. And we were sort of told, these are the great writers. These are the great books. This is the great music. Not to say that those it was wrong i think in most cases over the, any of these works of art that have stood the test of time there's something valuable about them but now we actually get to be the curators of our own experience and it matters what we admire so you admire kevin's work you admire his voice and his guitar playing wonderful you get to it no one's telling you well he's not you know this artist he's not rodan so you shouldn't right it's it's not about that we each get to live our lives in our own local way and have that kind of admiration for whoever we'd like. And I do think that there will be a rising up once the pedestals all fall, there will be a way that we will, um, I hope crowdsource the best to the top. So rather than it being someone else telling us, this is who goes on that pedestal, it's the sort of group of us getting to decide together hey, we really like this kind of music. We really like this book. We really like this artist.
0: I recently interviewed a young woman, 24 years old, Hannah G. Williams. And Hannah is the Gen Z consultant to CEOs. And she's hired by the Fortune 500 companies to go talk to the executives who are 40, 50, and 60 talk to them and explain to them how to approach the Gen Z people. And that would be anybody below 27, I think, how to approach these people and retain them as employees because Hannah claims, and I believe she's right. They speak a different language. They understand things in a different way. And so perhaps you have some experience with this in your business because you have a, a thriving business and you reach all over the world. I know Lynn Bernie lives in Paris and you have lots and lots of satisfied customers and a a fairly large staff. So you must have some people working for you who are under 27. And do you think that that group, because of the way they're viewing the world more collectively, perhaps, are they the ones who will recalibrate the way the pedestals are seen?
1: Mm -hmm. I mean, I think they already have. They already are and they already have. If you look at the number of people who are teens and in their early 20s who have risen to both fame and fortune on social media um, by just being themselves on camera, I mean, that is truly what I see is that there is a shift away from the idea that we have to be like someone else to just getting to be ourselves. And I think that that is a little offensive to the older generations in certain ways because they've worked so hard to be who they were supposed to be, whether it's a business person or any other avocation somebody has, it's sort of like, I'm supposed to be like them. I'm supposed to be like them. And if I be like them, I'm going to succeed. Meanwhile, income, these young upstarts who are like, I'm just going to be myself. And they're taking over the world. You know, I have a girlfriend who has been, you know, writer in her own right um, for years and her daughter just got a major six figure deal for um two novels and she's 19. Now that is a girl who's known since she was 10 that she was going to be a writer and has been writing ever since, but you know, there's a lot of us have been writing for 10 years, 9 years and don't have a, you know, big six figure deal. So I just feel like there's a way that there There was nothing to stop her there was no idea that she couldn't do it there was no sense that she wasn't good enough there was no sense that other people get to write this is a woman of color you know she's not been told by the culture around her you don't get to do this in the same way that i think many um, women and minorities have been told in older generations that you know this is the great canon of literature is for a different type of person than you so, I feel really happy about that. It feels like a major turning in the positive direction.
0: Well, we are on the subject now of publishing, and we are have been kind of skating on that subject now from for this whole conversation. This young woman, nineteen years old, obviously she has the chops, otherwise she wouldn't get the six figure two book deal. A lot of people who think about publishing a book or getting the six figure deal, they miss the point of what a publisher has to invest in order to make a book happen at that level. So the author, this young woman with her six-figure deal, that tells me the publisher is willing to commit at least a quarter of a, a half a million, maybe a million dollars in the project from start to finish. So this young woman Has done whatever it takes to produce a product that will appeal to that number of people. I suspect she probably has a fairly decent social media following. How could she not be savvy at 19 with that kind of momentum.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I totally agree with you. And I think it's a really important point that the publisher is investing just like any investor would invest in someone's business. They're investing in that author's future and in the book. And you are absolutely right. As somebody who has worked at many of the big publishers here in the United States, I can say you don't get a deal like that if the book isn't magnificent or you don't have a huge social media following. Now, this Young woman, I I imagine she does have some social media following, but she's not a huge influencer. That's not where the interest came from, especially when it comes to fiction. The book has to be fantastic or the publishers aren't going to invest the kind of money that they need to, as you were saying, to be able to make it go. So, you know, in this case, this is just a really, really talented young woman who had the moxie to say, I'm going to do this. and It doesn't matter how young I am.
0: So here we are pedestals, wisdom, and now talent. And the young woman has the talent, obviously. She's been at it since she was 10. It's a bit like uh, Allegra Houston's son, Roth, who started skiing before he could walk. Mm-hmm. He's 19 now, and he can go up to Taos Mountain and ski the steepest, steepest mountains in the West. No problem, because he's been doing it before he could walk. So people who are hearing this they may think, wow, she's special. She's the real thing. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, they might be thinking, well, I'm not the real thing. I can't do that, so I won't even try. Now, I know in your business, KN Literary Arts, you help people at all levels bring their stories into the world. Now, I am a fan of what you do. I've seen You work with my friend, Lynn Burney. And my goodness, Lynn's book is moving right along. And you folks at KN Literary Arts, you keep your schedules and you honor your contracts. And by golly, you deliver. Okay. And, And Lynn being an executive coach in Paris with her own coaching school notices things like that. Okay. So what do you have to say to people who are doubtful about their chops. And you've had so many come through your your channel and talk about that and then lead into the work that you do and, and the service you provide for so many aspiring people.
1: Yes, definitely. Well, what comes up is this thing I talk about a lot, which is that there are many really good reasons to write a book and there are many measures of success. So many people think that the only measure of success is that you are on the New York Times bestseller list um, or that you can quit your day job based on the royalties from your book sales. Both of those things are just truly like moonshots. It does not happen very often for very many people. And yet there are many, many people who are successfully publishing books every day. So what is their measure of success? It can be everything from with my own book. I wanted to support my business and I wanted to have a one-stop shop book option. I could hand people who were interested in writing a book, but didn't know where to start. So I wrote this book, the book you can, you were born to write the book. You were born to write, um, which helps people get there. So for me, the, value has not been in the royalties and the value has not, I did not hit the New York times list. Um, the value has been that it, it opens up the door to so many people to see, Oh, these are the steps I have to take. So just, I actually just feel genuinely good about the service that it offers. And then also it brings people back to KN literary. A lot of times they read the book and they think, you know, I can get this far by myself, but you know, when it comes to the self publishing piece, I want to have help. I'm going to call KN literary. So it was a huge success for me in that way. But one thing that I think people also overlook in terms of the success of a book is what it does for you as the author. And I have taken a pretty strong stand throughout the course of my teaching and bringing to the world, this company that writing the book for your heart or your art is just as valid as writing it for the money or the fame. And I want people to really deeply understand that writing a book can be the making of you. It can truly show you what you are capable of. It can be the expression of a creative impulse that comes from beyond you, which I think is one of the most satisfying things in the world to be able to usher that creative impulse from beyond into this reality where other people can find it. These are things that you can't quantify. They are truly what artists yearn for and why artists do what they, what we do. (laughs) And so that's good enough is what I want to say.
0: And I have noticed, uh, as you know, Allegra Houston and I host this Saturday morning imaginative Storm writing prompt of the week session. It's open as I've often, as I always say, it's open to everybody. People zoom in, we give a prompt, they write for 10 minutes and they read the work. Couldn't be less complicated. And we regularly get newcomers who say, "I I just can't do this. I don't know how to write. I chi whiz. Can I just listen? Sure, no problem. Of course they don't. They see the prompt, and it's a rooster standing on one leg, or some sandstorm blowing across the desert, or or some industrial scene that they've never see, you know looked at before. And they generate the material by way of just words that start. They start out with words, and then they make a ten-minute writing prompt. Now. What I noticed, have noticed in the last 10 months, and I'm going to ask you to think about the work you do with your clients. I've noticed that it doesn't take very long. If someone comes four or five times, a one hour on Saturday, they don't even do much in between. The work improves dramatically. And we have a couple of people who have been on for a few months. And my goodness, Kelly, they're just, they just knock it out of the park. You're going like, wow. And they're smiling and they're relaxed and they generate the work and they read it and they come back and do it again and again and again. So when you work with your clients, the ones who are the newcomers that would like to write the memoir, but have never done it before. And I know you have people that will actually ghost write if they would like to have that, but this is for the people who come and they're just, Getting started in the formal writing, even though they've been writing since the first grade, or can you reflect on the speed they improve?
1: Mm. Yes. I think that everyone, I always say, if you want to write a book, the first step is to be writing. And there's many reasons for that, but one of them is just what you're saying, which is that we find our voice as we write. And each one of us does have a unique voice. And many people come not realizing it, you know, and they come thinking, no, I don't have anything to share. And then as time goes by, as they're doing, and I also am a huge fan of writing prompts and I, I give them out liberally, um, to people to, because I want people to be writing on a daily basis. And it's a really easy start. Um, you find that they are surprising themselves with how quickly they're proud of something that they wrote. It feels true. Some line inside of that 10 minute writing prompt feels true and lands and they know it. And that it's so the success builds on itself, which is why I say that writing begets writing. So be writing and you will end up being a writer. And that's the only, I also say that's the only qualification required for calling yourself a writer is to be writing.
0: couldn't agree more. And I've been having some conversations with people about finding my voice. They say, I want to find my voice. I want to find my voice. And as I've had those conversations, I started to think, well, you know, your voice may not be that hard to find. <laughs> it actually might be right there. You may have been born with it. You may have been listening to it all your life. And it's not so much a matter of finding your voice, as it is to invite your voice to have its full measure.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, giving your voice the chance to speak, not necessarily with your mind running the show, but letting something deeper inside of you speak on the page. That is how one finds one's voice.
0: We've mentioned your business, K in Literary, and. I would like for you to give the people who are listening a description of how it works. I know that I've touched on a few things, and I know you have a big range of of services, Mm -hmm. all the way from, I can't do anything, and then they enter the shoot, and then lo and behold, they eventually have a book they're very proud of. How does that work? I'd like for people to know more about that process.
1: So I often think of us as sort of book midwives in a way, because, someone comes to us and they are pregnant. (laughs) They're like, there is a book in me. I know there is, I don't know if it's a boy or a girl. I don't know when it's coming. I don't know what the due date, but it is here. And it's our job to sort of do an assessment first and foremost of like, okay, well tell me more about where you are. Are you writing regularly? Do you know your outline? Do you have, do you know if you want it to be a memoir or fiction? So we do that sort of assessment first. And then from there we can make suggestions for whatever stage they are. So a lot of times people come and truly that's where they are. I don't know what I want to write, but I know I want to write. So at that point, we'll pair them with with a book coach, somebody who can give them writing prompts, who can talk through what it is that has them even wanting to write a book and help them to really clear out the questions and a lot of times the insecurities that you've been talking about to really find the kernel of their idea, help them develop it into an outline, maybe coach them along the way of how to set up a writing practice so that you're actually writing regularly because you won't write a book if you're not writing, unless you hire someone else to do it for you. Someone's gotta be writing it so they can help with the accountability and all of that. Once there is something on the page, we do developmental editing. We can read a a section of a book or the whole thing and let them know here's where it's working. Here's where we would like to see something different. Here's some examples, have a conversation about it. We write editorial letters, you know, we um, deliver in whatever way is best for the client. And then once we have a a semi-final manuscript, then we will do line editing and we'll do um, what's called copy editing and proofreading, these are technical terms, um, to get them ready to either send out the book to publishers and agents, if they want to try for a traditional house or to self-publish themselves. And we also do offer the self-publishing concierge service that I think Lynn is, is using now, um, which allows people to not have to learn the whole maze of the publishing self-publishing process, which is really not something that's very much fun. It took us a while to get it down, but now we have it. Um, we can walk people through that. So it's actually can be a fun process rather than a confusing one. And then at the end of that, there's a book in their hand, which is always a, a, just one of the most satisfying moments.
0: And this is a business you have and you have employees and you're the CEO of this business, which is based in Boulder, Colorado. And you have lots of momentum and, and you're an entrepreneur building a What a respectable, serious business, which means you ask people to invest in themselves by way of the services that you make contracts to provide. How do you approach the conversation around that investment? Somebody comes to you and says, Oh, I want a book, and then they see they will have to invest resources in it, talent, money, time. The midnight oil. Mm-hmm. What kind of conversations do you have with people around the philosophy of investing in oneself?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, what I'll say is that different people come with different relationships to money. And one's relationship to money is a huge factor in the conversation because sometimes people who have a lot of money have an idea or a deep belief that they don't have enough money. And even though they might be able to afford our rates, they'll tell us that we're far too expensive. Whereas other people will come and they can feel the value. Maybe they don't have the money right away. So they say, I'm going to figure out how to get this money and I'll call you back in two months. And we're like, great. I have always priced our our offerings in a way that feels very fair to me and is industry standard. So it's directly related to how much time and energy you're going to get from our team. We are a high touch organization. We are with you. We are available. You can call us, you can email us, we can hop on zoom. There's so much connection that happens. And that's partially because that's just who I am as someone who loves to be connected. So you can find you know less expensive services and we'll direct people there. If they find that our prices are too high for them, those usually are ones that don't have as much personal connection as a part of it. And Everyone gets to make their own decision and have their own budget. And we are a 0% hard sell company. We have never, ever been. In fact, it's been one of the things that's been a philosophical point from the start is that people need to know why they're investing with us. They need to know if they need to get that money back at some point, meaning are they going to need to have book sales or are they going to need to have the book generate one-on-one coaching opportunities or workshops, et cetera, where they can make that money back. And then we will really lay it out. We're like, these are the options you have for making that money back. And a lot of times book sales is not it. For most people, it's hard to make much money off of book sales directly because they're a low price point item. And a chunk of that money goes to whoever is publishing it for you. If you're going with a traditional house and yet they can bring business opportunities of all sorts of different varieties. And so we do find ourselves sometimes coaching business (laughs) alongside the coaching of the book. How are you going to turn this book into a, a business for yourself so that it earns back and then some.
0: So here you are atop a thriving business in Boulder, Colorado, You did mention you had worked with publishing companies. I know you worked for Sounds True, which is based also in Boulder. When did you first get the sense you wanted to go in the direction of storytelling and words? Were you a little girl living in a house jotting down poetry when you were four years old? Or did you stumble on it one day in the ninth grade? What happened?
1: Yeah. So I would say I've always been a writer. I've always loved writing. I've always been a journaler. I mean, since I was in high school, daily journaler. What happened really was that I got to the end of my college career where I had decided to do the practical thing and was studying law, pre-law which is where adults will send you. If you're a good writer and a good speaker, they'll say, you should be a lawyer. So I you know, was planning to go to law school, but my minors were always in literature and communications. And then I got a job when I was in college working at a bookstore. And that was the end of that because I delighted more in my job there than in anything else I was studying at the time and at the end of my time in in college i knew i couldn't work at a bookstore for the rest of my life or that wouldn't be probably satisfying for me in the way that my brain operates and my desire to do things and so i thought what else do i want to do and i went to a professor that i trusted and i asked him what should i do and he said you should write books he said you are an amazing writer you should write books well that was flattering, but I had no idea how one went about writing books. (laughs) You know, I'm also an Enneagram type three. I don't know how many of your listeners know the Enneagram of personality, but I'm an achiever and I don't do things naturally that I'm not sure how to succeed at. And so I wasn't sure what to do there, but then as fate would have it, I met someone who was working in a publishing company in New York. And he told me he was editorial assistant and he was Having to eat nothing but potatoes because he couldn't afford his life in New York on that salary, and but he was getting to work on books every day, and you couldn't have stopped me from moving to New York at that point. I did live the potato lifestyle for a few years, but eventually found my way there and and worked at uh, several different big publishing companies, including HarperCollins and Penguin and Hyperion Books.
0: You've written many things, and you are indeed a writer, and you're also an entrepreneur. As an entrepreneur who started out as a writer, how were you able to make that transition into a proper business that is growing, that you are aiming for more and more growth as time goes on? What were some of the obstacles that you ran across or was it smooth sailing? Did you just stumble into it? Do you consider yourself a, a business CEO?
1: You know, it's it's a funny question. I definitely don't consider myself a business CEO. I consider myself to be a writer. I consider myself to be an editor, actually probably above all else. And what that has led me to is the understanding of needing to delegate. And needing to find others who have the skill set and the desire and the interest. So, for example, we have a wonderful general manager now who was trying to decide between going to um, get her MBA. Or finding a smaller company to run, and I'm so grateful she decided to find a smaller company to run. Basically, this is what she loves. She's she's actually so turned on by the idea of oh, how are we going to puzzle through you know this business question, and how are we going to get our revenue up while keeping our expenses down? Like that's exciting to her. It's not as exciting to me. And so I found someone who has that native genius, you know, um, who really loves to do that. So that would be how I would say. I have handled this growth. It's not been easy. I'll be honest with you, Nave. It's been a really, uh, it's been a learning journey. It's it's been humbling every step of the way. Working with people and being the boss is a humbling experience for me. Yeah, it's just there's so much care that's required, and I am good at it. Some days, and other days, I lose my patience, and you know, it's just it's been it's had both. It's had m- enormous ups and also really deep downs, but. I think that's kind of life in general
0: what about luck how much has luck played into kelly's trajectory
1: (laughs) luck has played into it in an enormous way Um, there was a a dinner that i happened to be invited to when i was um, working at sounds true and we were at book expo america and at that dinner i sat across from the man who was the president and still is of Hay House, which is another spirituality publisher. And we just, we hit it off. You know, we just are, we like each other. We've always you know been friends ever since. And it was after I'd left sounds true and was doing my own writing, editing thing that, um, I got invited to a conference that he was leading, and he brought me up to the microphone and said, "Kelly's an editor. Talk to her about editing." And the next day, I had more business I could, than I could possibly handle on my own, and that was really the start of the company. That's where I went from being a freelance editor to running a business. Was that that was really the turning point? And he's supported me in many other ways since then. So yes, luck is huge. Luck, luck is a big deal.
0: And on even a more personal note. Aside from running your business, what are some of the other things that you do to to keep your your momentum up? You can't just run a business 24 hours a day. I know you just, congratulations, bought a house in Boulder, and you're talking to me on Zoom from this house. And you're giving me a little view of the field out back. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the things that you do to keep, keep you moving? And the reason I'm asking this, because... People who listen to this show, they want to do more things for themselves. They want to be more creative. Of course, being creative really is about organization because we were born so creative. Sometimes we don't know what to do with it. So how do you keep your well full? How do you keep yourself happy in the midst of all of this this work that you're doing?
1: Well, I'll say I'm not always happy. And I think that happiness is one of those things that we chase after and is not necessarily the end game. Um, In reality, you know, contentment, I think, and satisfaction and meaning are what I'm sort of leaning into in this era of my life more than anything else. So I am an everyday journaler, I'm a writer, I do it every day. Um, That's huge for me to be able to process through my own feelings and to be able to really be with my emotions. I think that that's another piece I've been in therapy for a long time. And it's taught me a lot about being um, with my emotions. And that if I allow myself to feel what I'm actually feeling, rather than pushing away the things I don't want to feel, or don't think I should be feeling, everything gets better. Everything resolves itself much more quickly. Um, So therapy, I go for long walks, Almost every day, I've got a dog who loves to go for walks and she gets me out of the house and I walk in the trees and the woods and the wild wherever I am, whether I'm in Taos or Boulder or somewhere else. And friends, I think is an, is the last thing I'll say. I really lean heavily on my friends. Um, they fill my well. They are um, always there for me. I have the luck of having many very good friends and it's just really something that, you um, yeah, I, I couldn't be more grateful for the ability to feel loved and to love uh, every single day all day long because of this, you know, wonderful community of friends that I have.
0: I just recently interviewed Kate Christensen, who was actually at the
1: Christmas kind of dinner.
0: Yes. Yeah, where you 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 and Kate know each other. And Kate, she's very articulate, just as you are. And she was telling me that she's now writing her current novel by dictating it into her phone and coming back home and transcribing the dictation. I think she's dictating it not as a sound file, but as a text file. Mm. And then loading the dictation onto the computer and editing it from there. And so many people talk about the different ways they go about getting the material out. Do you do anything in a non-traditional way to get your material out? Or are you more, I'm sitting at my desk generating the work with my pen or my computer?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I'll say, it's funny that you say that there are two places where I feel the most generative of material. One is in the shower. I'm that person who gets the, you know, downloads from the universe while I'm in the shower. And secondly, when I'm meditating, which is when you're not supposed to be thinking theoretically, um, I always keep a notebook next to me when I meditate and I meditate, you know, most days a week. And this is one of the practices that I've done for a long time to actually generate content, you know, or don't do it to generate content, but I do generate content, but I also really generate self-understanding, which I think does lead to the wisdom that we've been talking about. Um, the digestion of the life that I have lived up until this point and what that might look like if I tried to transmit it to others. So I would say it, you know, it's when my mind quiets down, actually, I think that's the common denominator between the shower and meditation. When my mind is quiet, the information and material comes through.
0: You mentioned earlier in our conversation, you are no longer young and you're glad that you have some wisdom now that you didn't have in your earlier years. How does your wisdom help you lighten the load and do you find that you're going easier on yourself now that you're older than you did when you were younger
1: oh my gosh yes definitely it lightens the load in that i've come to a more neutral place around thinking that life has to be one way or the other or that i have to be one way or the other I can be with myself just as I am. I'm no longer as critical of myself. I mean, so many years of looking in the mirror and seeing all the things that were wrong. And now looking in the mirror and being like, hey, I don't look like half bad for 46. It's a nice shift. <laughs> I'm grateful for it. it. It's really been a welcome turn.
0: <laughs> so when you look in the mirror and you think I'm not looking half bad at 46, does that surprise you? Does that relieve you? Does it amuse you?
1: Um, I think, yeah, it's almost like an inside joke with myself, right? Especially since for so long, I had such a high I held such a high standard for myself of what I needed to look like and I'm like, I am not even, that's just not in reach anymore. <laughs> And so I can laugh about it and just say, yeah, wow. When it's taken away from you by, you know, the natural aging process, you no longer have to think that it's something you should be trying to get back. I mean, I guess people still do. And, you know, I do as well, but um, less so than I used to think like I should look this way. It's like, oh, this is how I look today. And it also, you know, talk about freeing up some energy to have more creative flow. I'm not so focused on what do I look like and how am I dressed and am I wearing the right amount? makeup and, you know, all those questions that consumed a big part of my energy for many years, um, as just not really there anymore.
0: Because that pressure has lifted. Have you found that your dressing style has changed? Do you feel you're more in your dressing voice now than you were when you were 10 years, 15 years younger?
1: You know, what's been interesting lately is I've actually been trying new things in terms of clothing, et cetera. Um, maybe trends that I wouldn't have thought looked good on me in the past. Now, I think it doesn't have to look perfect on me, but I want to wear the new wide leg jeans that aren't as maybe flattering as, you know, on a body like mine as the skinnies, but I'm going to wear them anyway. I want to express myself. I want to try different things. I want to be just more easygoing with myself and uh, let myself have some things that I have told myself for years um, I wasn't doing a good enough job to deserve.
0: I love to shop and dress and find things that I can wear. I'm a little bit older than you. I'm in my early 70s and I have noticed things change. I'm not what I was when I was 25, right? And yet I've come around to feeling the same about my face as you do uh, about about yours. And there's something about accepting one's moment, because that's all we have, accepting the moment. And we're really talking about a kind of beauty, aren't we? Mm,
1: It is a type of beauty that comes from a place of self-acceptance and self-love. I really believe that I am more attractive now that I love myself and honor myself and am loyal to myself in ways that I wasn't ever able to be before. And yeah.
0: And when we come back around, as we're coming close to the top of our hour, people who do their creative work, people who write, people who come through your organization, Do you find they feel more beautiful? And I use that word loosely because it's an internal beauty. Do you find that they feel more um, attractive when they start engaging in the writing process?
1: Well, I don't know about physically attractive. I've just honestly never asked. But I would say in the feedback we get from our clients who have finished a project with us, there is so much joy and celebration of what they were capable of doing, that they didn't know. We hear a lot, I didn't know I could be a writer until I started working with you. And now I feel like a writer and this editor I worked with on your team taught me how to write this book. And now I know I'll be able to write additional books going forward because of what I learned here. And so there is a sense of just sheer delight that you feel in there that you can feel them feeling in themselves and in having accomplished this big goal that in many cases has been with them for decades that they finally achieved it it's like the whole world is different
0: how could it do anything other than brighten the eyes and make you look a little better to yourself and to others wouldn't you wouldn't you think
1: I would think so. I (laughs) I
0: know when I've had those experiences, I've I felt better about my myself. And the beauty of all of this, as we close, it's available to us. It's not some distant star that you'll never reach. It's available simply by giving yourself the green light, permission to express.
1: Definitely. Being our fullest selves includes letting that creative well bubble up and bubble over. And to be fully the beings that we are meant to be, we have to open that channel and let let it flow.
0: Well, Kelly, these insights, this wisdom that we've shared in the last bit of time, I really appreciate, appreciate it. I've always enjoyed my conversations with you and it seems that that continues and I have things to look forward to. For people listening who would like to know more about your work and how to find out about the resources you offer, and I know that I've seen your YouTube channel, and if someone out there listening has a hankering to write, you can connect with KN Literary, and the resources are vast and available to you right now. So how do they get in touch with all of that?
1: Yes, definitely. Well, our our website is knliterary.com. And if the YouTube channel is what you're looking for, it's youtube.com forward slash kn literary and all sorts of information and good advice is there for you.
0: And I believe you make a lot of those videos, maybe all of them.
1: Do I make all of them myself? Me, me,
0: me me, me equals you, 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 if you want to write. (laughs)
1: Right. Exactly. That's the hope.
0: So Kelly, thanks so much for being with us. I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to contribute to to this show.
1: It was a delight. Thank you, Nave.
0: And there you go, my friends. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Kelly Notaris. I also hope you learned a bit, as I did. As we've already said, Kelly owns a business called K N Literary Arts, and you also now know that Kelly has been writing for most of her life. Over the past five years, I've interviewed tons of writers, and each one has a different story about how they started. Sometimes people will tell you, as Kelly did, they've been writing ever since they can remember. Others will tell you they started later in their life. On a basic level, we've all been writing something since we first picked up a crayon or a pencil early in our lives and then we continued in kindergarten onward through elementary school middle school high school and for some of us college so obviously we're all writers on one level so when kelly says i've been writing since i was a child what does she mean i'm beginning to think when someone talks about writing from the point of view that kelly takes or the point of view of a poet or a novelist or someone who writes a memoir, it's more about intention rather than it is about putting the pen to the page or typing it on your computer. And when I say intention, I mean intending to say something, intending to tell a story, intending to use pen to page or fingers to keyboard as a way of finding out what you don't know about yourself, about the world, maybe even about others. And in that discovery process, you also have the intention of creating something, an artifact, a document somebody else will read. And as soon as you set out to do that, you then start to think about how you can tell your story, write your document in ways that will be easy for people to read. You might be wondering how you can develop those skills. Well, first of all, as I said just a second ago, you've been writing for ages, ever since you started school or before, so you have the basic tools you need to generate whatever you would like to say on the page. With that skill in place, the next thing you need to do is simply practice and what I mean by practice is just simply start writing things that you'd like to talk about. I recommend you do it with a pen and paper rather than the keyboard and the computer mostly because when you're doing it with a pen and paper you automatically give yourself the permission to be messy. You don't have to worry about getting it right. You don't have to worry about exactly what you're saying. Just let the material flow out or the story flow out and say it however you please. What happens there is that you will quickly start to see how you will find your way into what you would like to say. And it will be easily connected to your speaking voice. In many ways, writing is really about taking dictation around what you're thinking. So does it really matter how you get it down? I said, I like pencils and pens and paper. You can also record your voice and speak into a microphone or speak into your smartphone and listen back to see how it sounds and then transcribe it from that point of view. You can also dictate it onto your notes in your iPhone or other smartphone. You can hit the command button twice on your MacBook Air, which is the computer I'm using, and a little microphone will appear and you can dictate. So there are many, many ways for you to start getting your material out there, getting it down in one form or another. So there are lots of ways to to write. There are lots of ways to communicate what you would like to say to the world. So however you want to do it, I encourage you to go ahead and do it. And you can google KN Literary Arts and find all kinds of resources there to help you get started with that. Or you could make a radio show like the one you're listening to right now. And on that note, we have come to the end of our time together, and I would just simply like to say thanks once again for tuning in and listening. I appreciate your time and attention, and you've been listening to Twice 5 Miles Radio. Fertile ground for conversations worth listening to and remembering. I'm your host, James Nave, always broadcasting first on WPVMLP Asheville 103.7 and streaming online, wpvmfm.org. The voice of Asheville heard all over the world and on other community radio stations like KCE High, Cultural Energy Radio out of Taos, New Mexico. Thanks, Walter Parks, for our theme song, walterparks.com. If you'd like to hear more of Walter's music, Devin Dial. Thank you for managing WPVM-FM. If you'd like to know more about community radio, wpvm org is a good place to look. If you'd like to reach out to me, nave at jamesnave.com. Nave is spelled N-A-V-E. Would love to hear from you. jamesnave.com is my website as well. And every Saturday morning, 10 a.m. Mountain Time, noon Eastern Time, I gather with my creative collaborator, Allegra Houston, on Zoom. And we write for an hour with a group of writers we call our session the imaginative storm writing prompt of the week session so if you have an inkling to write if you've enjoyed what kelly had to say and you're inspired to take a run at it our door is always open imaginativestorm.com that's where you can go to find the zoom link and on that note here's a question for you what is it inside your imagination that keeps surprising you At odd moments when something is given back you didn't know you had had. In solitude, spontaneously, and with great joy. That's a quote from Charles Wright. Thank you ever so much for tuning in. I really do appreciate your time and attention. And I hope you tune in again next time. And until then, I'll catch you on that turnaround somewhere down the line.